This is the place, all right. Kiss me. Once we cross, it could all be different. Let's go. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And on this episode, we are discussing Twin Peaks The Return, Part 18. That's right. Uh, if you just got here this week and are wondering what happened to the part, uh, the episode where we discussed Part 17, we decided it was irrelevant after <laughs> watching Part 18. No, um, we actually recorded two episodes this week and released them back to back. So if you are listening to this and didn't hear Part 17, go into your podcast app or whatever thing you use to listen to podcasts and you can find it one episode previous. We did a whole really long episode about that. Mm-hmm. So We're going to combine them into one episode, but... We spent the amount of time it takes to discuss an episode to discuss that episode. Go yeah, figure. So it, it would have been like a three-hour podcast. Yeah. So instead, so two, two Back short at ones. It again. Back at it again. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jake. This episode of Twin Peaks was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it aired September 3rd, 2017. Chris, enlighten me. What the hell happened this week on Twin Peaks? I don't know, Jake. Uh, I don't really know, but let's <laughs> let's let's say uh, that Bad Coop and Dougie got the endings they deserve. Cooper sets out to right long festering wrongs, and the world of Twin Peaks may never be the same. <laughs> well, kind of made that up as I was talking. It's not what I wrote down, but I don't know oh, how to describe what. What this did you write down? This was a different version of what I just said. Okay, with some different conclusions. Oh, so the one you wrote down exists in another reality. It's a, yeah, we are the, all dreamers. <laughs> Um. Yeah, this episode. Uh huh. I, as we said, you know, in the previous uh, podcast, in our initial thoughts, this episode. The longer I sit with it, the more I like it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm coming to a lot more specific conclusions about how to explain it. Yeah. I mean, we can spend a lot of time talking about what happened, and I'm sure that we will. Yeah. But what does it all mean? Uh, ver- uh, and the slightly separate question of what do we take from it yeah. are, are almost separate from the linear description of what happened inside of it. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, I think in a general sense, the thing I took from this, and I think it's pretty appropriate g- given the totality of Twin Peaks to date, you know, there are different possibilities. I mean, we live in a in a world of uncertainties and of to some degree, malleable reality in in Twin Peaks that seems to be literally true. But, you know, in a general sense, we all kind of live in perpetual um, uncertainty and and with things we regret and things we remember fondly and, and, and so on. And I think the, the takeaway from this episode, particularly the conclusion, is that living in the past or trying to wrench the past into the version of it that you want is a probably a futile gesture gesture mm-hmm. that's a very simplistic sort sure. of one note reading obviously and i i don't think that's all that is being said i think that's part of it and that was the thing that i was most viscerally left with but we can obviously get into 
everything else that it means in the context of Twin Peaks lore and what we might think that means and what it might be saying about anything else. Let's, I guess. Did you have any overall thoughts or takeaways? To your point about maybe about it being futile to futile to change things, I do think though that this this episode cemented for me that well that is true. I don't think that it necessarily wow. How do I say this? This is really hard. To, it's really hard to get this out. Sorry. I found it hard to get my Cooper, Cooper and Laura both seem to me like people who are still striving for change and striving to improve their situations and maybe striving, striving to improve reality. They're just like the world in which they live, their lives, sort of, et cetera. But they both feel like characters who use what agency they have to try and improve things, try to get themselves out of out of the the badness. But I feel like we saw some version of Cooper basically overreaching that or like extending mm-hmm. outside of his means. And I'm not entirely I'm not entirely sure how to align that with any with any bigger message because I don't think that it was ex- explicitly a moral judgment. But the show sort of f- finally, finally seeming to declare that there is a line there and that those have extents and that you can that you can go too far and that you can maybe overreach or there is some element of, of hubris to it almost maybe. Yeah. I, I, it was it was it's, it's, it's been a lot to, to watch and think about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, do you want to start, I guess, talking? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we'll come to more reflections yeah. as we talk about the yeah. specific events of the episode scene one cooper shrouded in flame yeah yeah good good shot that's also this is the first time that we've seen doppelganger cooper with those blue doppelganger eyes since oh that's uh, true since two finale yeah yeah so just from a little nuts and bolts lore perspective if you were wondering if that is actually the same guy that walked out or if we missed something that's the show seems to be saying that it's that guy again yeah yeah um Apparently, it was Kyle MacLachlan's uh, idea to give him the black um, contacts in the return in the current. Oh, just when he's walking around. Throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this, this it, it was a really good look. I guess to see the sort of, see them sort of filled with blue almost felt like something different was reflecting in them now that he's back in that room than it was mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Actually, I guess, geez, this is early to start getting into all of this stuff. Yeah, but no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It never is. This. Yeah. So, in That's this all. episode of Twin Peaks Rewatch, uh, uh, many postulations will be put forward, I imagine, in a way that we did not usually previously, because there's nothing yeah, left. Yeah, that, that, that's what, yes. <laughs> that's all This that episode gives you no choice. In this episode, we were given very explicitly sort of a second version of reality, whether it's a different timeline or actually a completely different, yeah. subtly changed universe. It made me reevaluate the Red Room as a space and all the lodges as a space. It made me reevaluate even the doppelgangers. The doppelgangers have always felt like, oh, they're like your shadow self or like another version of you or another facet of you. They could also, in some ways, maybe just actually be transitory different versions of you that have come in and out of these other different versions of, of yeah. the world. Not not to literally say in a sci-fi way that there's like the good universe and the bad universe, but almost it, it, we only see a couple of different versions of reality. We don't, I mean, the show's never explicit as to whether or not all of those roadhouse scenes with different characters talking and the thing that, mm-hmm. that uh, Audrey is in and the place that Cooper finds himself when he's Richard, if those are one other place or if there's a multitude of places. But the idea that sort of versions of you from a different life somehow sort of tumble through the weird machinery at the end of Twin Peaks and can end up in the wrong place or deliberately end up in a different place in the case of Bad Coop, I just I just thought about that a lot this episode about how 
like we and a lot of other people have talked about how Bad Coop isn't explicitly just, I mean, we call him Bad Coop, but he's not like, there's more to him than just being an evil god. He is like, he is a person still. He's a fucked up person. Uh, it reminded me though of like of that of the blue eyed doppelganger Leland in the finale of season two who just walked by and said I never killed anybody and then walked right. away of like seeing that now and uh, like seeing this Cooper in this space and seeing quote unquote good Coop go to this other world and seeing the Laura Palmer from that world made me think back to the season two finale with the characters walking in and out who seemed to just have completely different interiorities, especially that Leland, that that one yeah, Leland who yeah. says, I didn't kill really anyone. It made me just think, you know, this this episode of Twin Peaks seems very much about inevitability, not necessarily of specific events, but of trends and human behavior and of sort of the cycles of of like a violence that humans inflict on themselves, the cycles just of life and you're seeing, you know, Cooper tries to change something, ends up in a different world where he continues to try and change something. That world doesn't even line up with his own, with his world or his perceptions of what's going on. He keeps trying to change it and just makes increasingly bad things seem to happen. Yeah. But um, even just the Laura that you see there versus the Laura that we know, I don't think it's just trying to specifically say Laura Palmer or like that human vessel is always going to have a fucked up, confusing life. It seems like it's just it's trying to say something more broad than that. Man, I'm getting way out in the weeds. No, no, I think- anyway, all I'm saying is the owl cave turns into an infinity symbol with a human <laughs> swirling through it, and this episode uh, went in big on that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I I've lost my thread. That's okay. Uh, I yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, and I think um, the as as sort of mentioned uh, on the I sort of talked about this a bit on the last podcast the previous podcast we did on 17 but i think the presence of the additional cooper that we see for most of this episode i think really backs up your general point about um doppelgangers it's not so much there's like the evil version of you that's a doppelganger and more there are all of these aspects of people who sort of all kind of swirling around maybe yeah. with the lodges and related places as uh, kind of stopping you know rest houses kind of yeah like the it all of the little lodges and the red room stuff all of the sort of the space that exists in between almost this episode did a great job for me of of almost bottling all of that stuff back up into its own little enclosed space like throughout this entire season i felt like geez the entire world of twin peaks seems like this metaphysical science fiction space where like basically aliens and weird yeah. alternate people are walking around and this episode kind of did cinch all of it back up and say ah you know all of these all of these realities that are just like earth they are all effectively reality and then there is this other thing up there that is kind of lore and kind of helps to expand them all out and show them as an analogy or helps show them as a pastiche, but it's not, I, I'm, I'm so much more comfortable with Twin Peaks after this episode, which I didn't expect to huh. be with Twin Peaks, the return because oh. with Twin Peaks, the return in particular, because I was having so much trouble understanding how does it all work? What does it all mean? What the hell is all of this journey through weird alien technology and stuff? And now being able to sort of say, well, it's, it all is literally actually a lens through which to see yeah. this, you know, what Frost and Lynch have to say about the entire the entirety yep. of human violence, the entirety of the effects of 
you know, civilization, uh, progress for progress's sake, whatever the hell else, you know, um, it ma- it makes the giant and his little robot that is actually a movie theater suddenly feel surprisingly relevant to all of the different weird pastiche scenes that we've seen over the course of the season. Yeah, I, I, I'm I with you on that. And I, a thing I was thinking about as well that I forgot to mention uh, on the previous podcast, but I think is just as relevant given what you're talking about, is the combination of the duration of this season and then this episode. It puts me in mind of something we talked about a couple episodes ago that I think you were referring to kind of where the world of Twin Peaks, you know, as represented in the first two seasons of the show, feels almels hermetically sealed in its own it's its own little pocket mm-hmm. universe of kind of goodness. And that's what charms, even though these even though terrible things have happened there, you know, Cooper is very much charmed by this place that feels almost out of time. And mm-hmm. like, you know, p- people still live this particular kind of uh, wonderful life, which again, like terrible things are constantly happening in this town. But we're it is portrayed very romantically nonetheless mm-hmm. um in this season when we are brought back to twin peaks you know there are shots like the one that keeps happening of the sheriff's station where you've got these incredible brilliant right. god rays behind it almost as if to suggest like this is that incredible place and then everywhere else we are in twin peaks the return is it just looks and feels a lot more like the world, except even more outrageous and terrible things happen. Right. The uh, one place that it's not muted like that in all of Twin Peaks, the return, other than the town of Twin Peaks, is the inside of the Jones household. I, that's, yeah, exactly but, right. Yeah. Um, whatever. And that, I'm trying to, trying to coalesce everything I was trying to say here, um, but it does seem, it somehow does seem connected to when you think of part eight of The Return, um, Laura Palmer, or whatever exactly that meant, being sent to Earth mm-hmm. after Bob, you know, is vomited out and uh, and sent. It does suggest, like, there is something special about this particular place, Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. maybe because of her, um, be, you know, being sent there, maybe because... Maybe there always has been something, and that's related to Glastonbury Grove and the woods and everything. And Jackrabbit's Palace. And Jackrabbit's Palace. Those two places where there's a little lumpy pond next to a tree. Yeah. Um, you know, the the end of episode seven, part 17, were brought back to that hyper-saturated, ah, Twin Peaks. This is Twin Peaks. And Cooper is so ebullient, and he's so happy to see everyone, sort of, and he hopes he sees right. them all again. The, the world that, that Bad Coop, like, finds himself in when he turns around and looks at the sheriff station, basically, yeah. when he's he's plopped really hardcore into that space. And yeah. then it gets even more and more and more of that over that scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And part 18 really wrenches us away from that. You know, yeah. we're, we're brought back. I mean, like in a we literal were... way, when Cooper's hand like disconnects yes. from Laura, and then uh, you don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. at that point. And even when he makes it back to Twin Peaks, it's a muted, less inviting version of it. You know, he doesn't like stop and sort of see the double R and kind of think about the cherry pie or anything. Yeah, you know, there's something when he when he walks out of Glastonbury Grove and meets Diane, it feels like that's already the Cooper that sort of has a little bit of a half mask over himself at that yeah, point. Yeah. 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 And and I don't know exactly what it all means, but it feels really um 
it all feels it all links up to me in a way that feels intuitively um, convincing and meaningful. But I'm having a really hard time <laughs> conveying my takeaway from it. I think I thought I had a, a, a more concrete point to make than I than I think I do in reality. But there was there's something about the way that we transitioned from how everything is portrayed in part 17 to how everything is portrayed in part 18 and the way Cooper changes and, and you know, being in this clearly off kilter reality where everything's a little bit different and then remembering how we left Audrey. It, it all it all tracks in a way that I feel w- would strike me on an intuitively correct or not correct, but intuitively satisfying or meaningful level if I were watching, say, a David Lynch film. Um, but then once you've stretched it out over 18 hours, your my brain just like wants there because we spent so much time with all these different threads and 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 just so many, so many hours uh, watching and picking this stuff apart. My brain wants there to be like a bunch of more specific, concrete resolutions. I know. And I don't think I don't know that I'm going to get that, but I don't. I also think over time I will need that less and less. I think so, too. The more all of these emotional takeaways just kind of marinate in my brain. I feel the same way. When I got to the end of 18, man, we're one shot into this recap also, by the way. Let the record show. We've literally talked about the shot of of Cooper uh, on fire in the Red Room. That's it. Uh, But, yeah, when I got to the end, even though I I was riding pretty high on the experience of having gone through the – the twists and turns and the just crazy emotions that it put me through. I remember the first thing that I wrote to you, I think, or to sort of just the Twin Peaks discussion, little chat that we're in was, I loved it, but I still found it incredibly frustrating that all of the things that seemed connected were just scratching at the edges of this episode and not explicitly connecting. Like I was I, at the beginning, I was just like, "Please, someone in this world that Cooper has found it, found himself in, say Billy. Just fucking say Billy. Say it. Say one well, of those names. Well, Richard and Linda show up, but Richard and Linda aren't. None of those things are explicitly connected. The thing I was going to say is the woman who lives in the ostensible Palmer house references she is Tremont and bought the house from a Chalfont. Right, but that doesn't that still doesn't connect to any of the roadhouse stuff. It doesn't connect to no, Audrey. No, no, it doesn't no, connect no, to no, like no. any of that stuff. But yeah, that that was just that almost <laughs> that almost felt like the way that a horror franchise will at the very end have the killer still be alive. Uh, where you're like, oh, we're in a completely different world separate from lore. Or are we? Uh, hello there. Don't mind me. I'm just the same character name from previous mysterious disappearances <laughs> related to the lodge. Anyway, I live here now. To be continued. Yeah, deliver me some meals on wheels or make Chet Desmond disappear in my trailer. Bye. Mrs. Tremont will return, it says in the credits. <laughs> yeah, no, that at the end. And then Cooper, that name didn't register with Cooper, even though he'd encountered uh, mm-hmm. both of those names in his case before. It's fine though. Did he directly interact? I forget. I don't even. I don't remember. know if he actually ever talked to yeah. either of them. That's true. Don, we know it was uh, Donna's Meals on Wheels interactions, and then and then the the trailer park in yeah. Fire Walk with Me are the context. <clears throat> are the places that we, the the Tremonts and then the Chalfonts showed up. Yeah. Yep. Well, and and Tremont and Chalfont was the same. That woman. Had it's both the same. Names. It's yeah. the same woman yeah. in both. But anyway, yeah. that's way later. You, in the you know what I mean, though. Of just like I I was yeah, no, I was no, just totally. itching for yeah. some something concrete, just for like one little thread to cinch in yeah. uh, explicitly yeah. to tell me it's no, okay. What you're David, seeing is David, okay. Yeah. The show had no interest in telling me that David it was Lynch okay. Is the is the anti-M. Night Shyamalan. It in fact in wanted- terms of, yeah. In terms of instincts to provide that It wanted little, me to know that it was not okay. Like there was that little horse on the mantle, but also there was a guy- In Carrie Page's in house. In Carrie Page's house. 
and the guy uh, who Dead shot guy. himself, I saw someone zoom in and it looked like he might have barfed out Garmin Bosia before oh he God. was shot, whether he was Cream murdered form. or killed himself. Uh, who can say? Yeah. Again, just like, uh, it just means that everything's bad everywhere, but not in any explicit way that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Except maybe we should move on for a second yes. and talk about where things maybe aren't totally bad, but secretly are still bad. <laughs> the Dougie Jones uh, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get a new Dougie who says, where am I? Which is pretty coherent for Dougie, but we don't know. Really. We, we don't know. I, my, my, my assumption is that Dougie is still going to be a doof, but yeah. that he's, he's less- be more functional than the Coop Dougie right. was. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an important distinction to make is that we've, we've only ever seen real Dougie Jones say about three lines of dialogue yeah, total. Very, very, when he, when yeah. he first gets teleported into the lodge and his head explodes in like episode three- then for the rest of it, it was actually Cooper, as we know very definitively. It was Dale Cooper with a yep. very weird filter over his brain because he yep. wasn't all the way there. Yep. Then we've seen this new Dougie say, where am I? Also, Kyle McLaughlin did a great job of like punching up his goiter. Like, I know, like, I know. Pushing his really face impressive. together to just yeah, look yeah, like yeah. a paunch man. Yeah. Uh, but then the last thing that you see Dougie do is echo something that Janie E says. Right. So just like, oh no, maybe yeah. it's still terrible. Maybe yeah. their life is going to be the thing still that bad. I, the thing that I always assumed about the original Dougie Jones is that he was more functional than Cooper as Dougie, but still frequently acted like Just that, kind of out. Which is yeah. why it wasn't completely out of the question for characters to treat him with yeah. some degree of normalcy. Cooper, when he was seeing the world through whatever 400 layers of of uh, fog would would have never been able to say where am I when he showed up in right. a new space yeah, he would have just exactly. looked around and maybe sort of picked at the chair until yeah, he yeah, found yeah. a lockpick and escaped magically right. <laughs> exactly. uh, um, oh I also the, the little ball that turned into his head uh huh I saw a lot of people talk about this online too, and I felt like really smart and perceptive, even though it doesn't mean anything. But the thing that I thought about was the effect in the original Wizard of Oz when Glenda the Good Witch uh, appears oh, everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I guess Lynch references the Wizard of Oz pretty often, according mm-hmm. to people who are smarter than me. But uh, <laughs> I said, "Oh, that looks like the Wizard of Oz." Oh, I don't know why it does. Yeah, he was sent home. I guess that's that's what that's what it is. That's sure. my smart assessment. Home, He's a smart guy. Home. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we then return to uh, we get sort of a reprise of uh, Cooper and Laura. Yeah, which in is the woods. presumably just us being shown the footage again. I, but, I assume so. But yeah. as with everything in this show, it's hard to know yep. if that's literally because we're just seeing the footage again or because yeah. it happens twice. In my notes, I wrote same shots question mark. Uh, so she disappears yep. again, screams, um, and then we're in the red room. And Mike says, is it future or is it past? Which obviously we've gotten that before, but it's just we ha- we had increasingly it. relevant. Mike, literally, time. this shot is from episode two. Mike yeah. saying that yeah, is yeah, exactly yeah. from episode two. But now you, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I really wonder. Yeah, it really feels like. Yeah. It feels and then, like- I mean, Cooper essentially asks himself that at the end of the episode. Yes. In different words. But yes, I yeah. mean, that is that is a Big concern, and actually, that is also that is also relevant. I think for all, during all of the Cooper and Diane slash Richard and Linda stuff, because of the way that I think all of changes, all just everything, and just yeah. everything from when he pops out of here feels like it's yeah. it's hard to know. Like even when when Cooper first appears and he and Diane are looking at each other and asking if it's really you and and those mm-hmm. things, 
it feels like that has to be because they're both thinking, I know that the last time that we were in a situation remotely like this, it was under completely dishonest and out and just like totally Terribly, fucked up, yeah. fucked up circumstances. Yep. Uh, the last time she saw Agent Cooper just walk into her life, basically. Right. Mike disappears. And then, oh, then he gets... He, makes he sort of like, yeah, he like blinks away kind of. And then uh, Cooper looks, sees a chair, sees Mike in the corner of the room. Yeah. Um, walks to the corner through the curtains, follows Mike into the room with the arm who, again, it reintroduces itself. He says, I'm the arm and I sound like this. I yeah. talk like this, yeah. Or I talk, oh, yeah. That's right. And that and it makes those sort of whispering sounds. But that actually it, sounded like, I, for the first, I, I don't know if it was the same sound that he made before, but it sounded to me kind of like the sound of the ceiling fan. I wondered if it was supposed to know, actually evoke I, that because he sort of goes, and I wonder if I always think of the ceiling fan as being like, oh, maybe so. Maybe so. Could be a sped up version or. I don't know. It's probably, it probably hasn't, it probably was just me projecting. I want everything to sound like that fan, Chris. I just love that sound. It's a good sound. And then the, the arm asks, is it the story of the little girl who lived down the lane? Which is what Audrey asks of Charlie Yes, several episodes ago. Yep. Uh, so I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I wondered when Audrey was saying it, was she referring to Laura Palmer? Was she referring to herself? Is she referring Maybe all to of these things? the girl in part eight? I, I mean, I wonder... I talked to to Dana, my wife, about this, about that sentence a lot and how it came back. And just is it speci- the same way that people keep asking online and in, in our forums and ourselves, who is the dreamer from that question that, mm-hmm. that the Monica Bellucci that yeah. she quotes this sort of the story of the girl who lived down the lane, quote unquote, can kind of be a generic like if Twin Peaks was framed like a 1960s Disney cartoon and the entirety of everything that we've seen from episode one through the end of The Return was inside a gilded book that says the story of the girl who lived down the lane. <laughs> right. That would not be wrong. Like the story of the girl who lived down the lane, yeah, like you said, could be Laura or Audrey or probably any of the like groups of girls we've seen cut to inside of the roadhouse who don't track to anyone. It could be the new Laura that we see. It could be Diane. Yep. And it, like that, that little name would kind of depressingly encapsulate all of them really successfully, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, to the answer to the arms question, yes, it is that story, I think. <laughs> um, so uh, so next we get Cooper walking down a hallway. Talking, and then he, Laura, Laura leans down and whispers mm-hmm. into his ear again, which I think is the third time in Twin Peaks that we've seen this shot. Yeah. But th- they recreated it with the older actors right. for part two of this scene. So this is the second time we've seen the old characters do it. And it ends with Laura screaming and getting pulled away. Yeah. Um, it's in this episode, Laura screams three different times. And I wonder yeah. if they're all actually the same I, event. Yeah, I'm not sure actually, you know, like yeah. if, if it's the, it the same recording, yeah, I don't if, know. It's, if it's not only the same recording, but if sort of all of those things are supposed oh, to like line up temporarily, like Laura, oh. Laura being led by Cooper out of the woods, screaming and disappearing Laura in the yeah. red room screaming and disappearing and Laura having whatever realization she has yeah. or not Laura what's the the woman's name uh, Carrie yeah and Carrie outside yeah. of outside of the Palmer house having I don't know what the fuck that would actually mean that's an interesting but like I wonder if that's actually sort thought, of though like the atemporal like line that runs right. through all three of those things right co- because they all do exist in different like different places different places so different di- yeah you capital know. P places yeah. basically yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a really interesting thought that I that definitely did not occur to me, but that's it didn't. And, until and I, I just, still don't really know what it means. I don't know what it means either. But it's a really interesting just sort of thing to ruminate on. Yeah. 
so anyway, Cooper then walks over to Leland uh, in a chair, and Leland says, find Laura. Yes, that's also what happened in episode two. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's, it's interesting that that... Does anyone else explicitly give Cooper instructions to find Laura? I, I mean, don't th- I, I don't think anyone else specifically says to find Laura. No, I mean the stuff that the, like it's weird that Leland of all people is the one that he would I take know. that instruction from and it, then follow it to it was, his like Leland, most uh, extreme, yeah, you know, circumstance. Yeah, it's he's not exactly a. I feel like there's got to be something there, and it's just not something that I'm good enough to pick up on like why specifically did Lynch and Frost choose to have it be Leland who says that mm-hmm. not blue-eyed Leland not like not any other character not Laura herself it's also I mean it's also right so that I don't know the answer to it also seems pretty clear that especially given the version of Cooper we get so for the you know the for the most of the rest of this episode um, he is diff- he is a slightly different aspect of Cooper than either classic Dale Cooper or Cooper's doppelganger. Yeah. Um, he also, given everything we heard from Gordon Cole in the previous episode, the motivations for finding Laura are clearly not just save Laura Palmer, this one specific victim of right. terrible trauma, it is. It's, it's like an, as we know from part eight, there is some connection. It's like find and destroy evil in the world, almost yeah. like an destroy od- Judy, an audacious thing. thing that seems doomed to not work. Yeah. but they're for some reason compelled to do it. Yeah, and Laura is the way you will do that. That's what she was created for, or imbued or, with, or this she power, represents or, that in this one right. specific instance exactly. or whatever. whatever. Whatever exactly that means. Yeah, Laura, in some form or fashion, is the key to defeating. This evil entity, Judy, and so given that, I don't know why Leland also specifically has to say, "Fine, Laura." I'm sure there's a reason, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, um, it seemed like his his the way that that Leland says that on screen, the way that Ray Wise played that his one line in the show. Also, what a sadness! Um, it's yeah, such a sadness. Such sadness. Um, we don't have more Ray Wise. It feels like such a personal plea compared to so many of the other people that yeah, are telling Cooper that's what true. to do. That's true. Yeah. Don't know exactly yeah, the, what to draw all from the, that. But all, the rest are all buried in these incredibly complex sort of lore Yeah, because all of Cooper's motivations do feel like they're operating almost on those two levels where there is this thing that we're being told is happening, which is Cooper and Jeffries and Cole and Major Briggs yep. know about this mystical entity that represents evil. And they're Did at- we, by the way, I don't think we talked about the floating Briggs face. In the theater. A plus. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, Great yeah. stuff. That yeah. floating Briggs. He's just sitting there watching it all happen. He's like, I'm here now too. Great. <laughs> Major Briggs gets to hang out with Philip Jeffries and the fireman in a weird yep. floating weird room. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just realized we never touched on that <laughs> no, at all. No. The most there's so There's so many other things going on that it's so hard to even just like, I felt guilty last week talking about Gordon Cole's computer screen, but I couldn't not. Uh, by last week, you mean earlier today. I mean today. earlier today. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, so, just so there is this Judy thing and this sort of epic lore quest. But on the other hand, there is sort of the more emotional side that seems like Leland represents of just find yeah. find Laura yeah, and impassioned plea where Cooper fair. comes out and he's almost like, I can execute my my purpose. That Like the reason I went to Twin Peaks in the first place was to save this girl. And like uh, you're saving like the – 
the the idea that Agent Cooper is someone who would try to save a girl who's already dead, and th- that would um, that like his intentions being so pure as to causing a doubt, a, a little yeah. bit of a downfall, so, feels like that that kind of yeah, those two things might be co coexisting. Yeah, probably. Although something I'm struggling with in general with this season mm-hmm. compared to especially the first season of Twin Peaks is all of the additional. I mean, this has really been happening. Uh, since arguably season two and fire walk with me as well. But this season really like pushes it a lot further. I'm kind of struggling with the idea that the character we see in the very first episodes of twin peaks in Mm -hmm. season one, who comes to twin peaks as an FBI agent to investigate the latest in a, in a series of serial, what might be a series of serial murders. Right. Um, it's I'm, I, I am kind of having trouble reconciling that with the notion of like this is a decades long like investigation know. of this specific evil force and Laura is this like uniquely important also countervailing force and Cooper is like going back not just to investigate yeah. her murder but to physically save the actual person like there were other people who were killed I know by, like I, I guess it's a tough th- I don't yeah. know what it means entirely and it's sort of tough for me to it can't to reconcile it can't even all coexist as one solid thing in your brain no it me. really like, can't and no. that's I guess what I was trying to kind of get at is maybe you know there is that the Judy thing but if you think about Cooper as a guy who wow excuse me as a guy who ah <laughs> uh, the sort of more normal Cooper, the sort of intuitive, emotional FBI agent who goes to town to solve this case and then goes through all of the insane shit that we've seen Cooper go go through. I could see his actions being those almost of that character's desperation instead of or, you know, in addition yeah. to or in opposition to maybe the sort of stoic, I am this FBI lord who works with Gordon Cole and I've been fighting evil. Like those two right. things, the, the, the things Cooper's been doing in regards to Laura in this episode – the two versions of it are not sympathetic with each other in my brain, but I can see two sort of different versions of it yeah, that are allowed to coexist. That. I yeah. just can't. If I try to mix it all together in my mind, it doesn't hold. It is right. like a kind of oil and water as term, in yeah. terms of the two different stories. Yeah. But Leland's Leland's like really personal plea and the way that Cooper was even just physically dealing with Laura felt so personal and so different than any of the other things like the, the Cooper who we see in the end of 18 feels so much more like the Cooper who I would expect to be like methodically tearing through this bullshit to get to Judy until things until he gets really confused and then I don't really know what to make of it yeah I don't know like the, the stuff with Cooper finding Laura and trying to take her out felt so like damn it all emotional to me that it's hard mm-hmm. to even reconcile that with the stuff Gordon was saying and with all no, the stuff you were saying about yeah. the lore of just like yeah. He's on, you know, Laura's just a pawn to him to get to this stupid god or whatever. Um, no, that that's true. And I mean, sorry, and that, that, was, that was a dismissive fart sound that I shouldn't have made. That's okay. I'm sorry. And that, that uh, I guess, sort of echoes nicely enough with the general theme of this season and particularly uh, this episode of all of these different realities, different aspects of individual people. Um, yeah, you know, different timelines or universes or whatever they are. Um, I guess we just have to, as watch viewers of this show, just sort of accept that there are different 
Yeah. There are different aspects even to the core of what the show is about. I think maybe so. When Laura Hudson was writing the Twin Peaks recaps at Vulture, she she left to write Game of Thrones, I think, and uh, and someone else took over. But the refrain that she was using throughout all of the first half of season three when she was doing it was just nothing ever means one thing in Twin Peaks. And I right. thought that was a good thing to just yeah. keep in mind all the time. It basically all layers of this goddamn TV show. Yeah. Yeah. There was a speaking of Laura's who wrote pieces about this show. Uh, Laura Miller, who is an absolutely fantastic um, critic who works at Slate, and I'm just a huge fan of basically everything she writes or says, um, she she wrote a really good piece on this finale in which she did not attempt to pick apart all of the sort of really specifics of the lore and everything. Right. One, because I don't think that's like what you'd find interesting for a public for that kind of publication and it's um, futile but also exactly it's just kind of pointless and she uh hey everyone thanks for listening to our podcast yeah i know <laughs> she comes right out and sort of um doesn't declare but i think sort of toys with the idea that all of this has been the dream of a man named richard um hmm. which it's a very you know oh, the full saint elsewhere yeah exactly the total saint elsewhere to your, to your point last on the previous podcast about how this or contains... which, was it Dallas? Which TV show is it that had one season that was a dream someone had? I thought Saint Elsewhere ends with the entire show having yeah. a dream in the in the mind yes. of that kid. Uh, but anyway, you know, to your point about about this finale, the, the finale of this show having every single possible TV ending trope uh, collide. Um, I I kind of liked her willingness to explore that as a potential suggestion because it is so it is so overplayed that it is definitely my instinct to ignore that interpretation entirely Mm -hmm. but i also think you can't ignore the fact that we keep hearing about how we all live within a dream and audrey wakes up from what might be a dream and i don't think to your point about laura hudson saying not everything nothing means just one thing in twin peaks um, certainly in the work of David Lynch generally. Um, I think Laura Miller's sort of flirting with the idea that this is the dream of a man named Richard. I don't think even that has to be... I don't think that suggesting that means, and it isn't anything else, and it's just that. Right. Because the They're, very ending of the episode, I think, clearly right. suggests that that is not a sufficient explanation but for all we know the, the man we see who wakes up as richard could have literally been having the dream of all of the contents we saw but also in twin peaks cooper and everything else could could exist or not yeah. like you know all yeah just there, there's something there's something i think about lynch's work that I, I don't actually think has been true of twin peaks maybe until this point i think a lot of david lynch's film work really strenuously resists any kind of canonical not all of it they're the movies that are less like this certainly but some of twin peaks is uh, sorry some of david Lynch uh, refer to david lynch as twin peaks <laughs> some of david lynch's film work um i think really 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 resists a single canonical um explanation of the events mm-hmm. and i think this finale of this sh- season really strongly strongly reinforces that 
which is that there I do, I really don't even know that I think there is one like this is the thing that happened. I think a lot of different things happened on top of each other. Yeah, it's almost in, like all all of these different stories are almost like written on tracing paper and laid yeah, over each exactly. other, and you can kind of analogy. reorganize them. But you can always there's never a version where you just see a white page that has the exact words mm-hmm. telling you what it is. Yep. Yep. So I was going to talk about more of that stuff when we talked about Richard and Diane, but I don't, or Richard and <gasps> Linda, Linda, I don't know that it matters when we talk about it. In the interest of multiple timelines and uh, fluid reality, You can reassemble this episode in whatever order you would like. It's slippery in here, Ugh. in this podcast studio. Um, anyway, so um, do we want to get into uh, Cooper Co- meeting up with Diane in yeah. Glastonbury Grove? Yep, so this, I assume, is the curtain call that Cooper was referring to when he looked yeah, Diane in the yeah. eyes in the Great Northern and said, I'll see you at the curtain call. Yeah. Um, maybe that means many other things, but he literally walks out from behind a curtain having thought that maybe he accomplished a major thing mm-hmm. and sees Diane. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and they have... Um, oh, also, by the way, immediately before that, Cooper has this, like, telekinesis power with oh the I think that scene that... was shot backwards I think it's one of the few times we've seen Cooper do something backwards oh, in the and I think that the way that was done was that the the curtain was undulating because he walked out of it backwards uh, down the hallway oh, and they were pro- that's really it's also I um again thing that I noticed that connects to other thing but can't divine any meaning from it the opening credits of Twin Peaks the return have consistently shown the waterfall outside the Great Northern then cuts into a billowing curtain and it's one of the only times we've ever seen the image of one of those Red Room curtains actually billowing and undulating Mm. except for this time right now when Cooper just sort of confidently walks through it out into the world yeah why who what don't know but it happened yeah uh, and, and it was I was like, why have I seen that before? Oh, I see it before God. every episode. Again, this just speaking of things that have been part of Twin Peaks um, ever since the beginning, but I think have to be considered differently now, or at least can be considered differently now that we've seen this. The backwards talking device or backwards acting device in general, because mm-hmm. it's not just talking, I think has gains it gains a lot of additional. Uh, resonance in light of everything we've seen, right? In order to say something backwards in real life in terms of what these actors have to actually do to create the effect, there's no such thing as improvising when speaking backwards to be played back in reverse. You have to literally know how the thing ends in order to even start saying it because the first thing you're going to say is the last thing that comes out of your mouth on screen. Mm -hmm. And that just that observation feels very significant to me in the context of this episode the observation that uh, in the previous episode the observation that the past dictates the future mm-hmm. um, that it is there it is possibly the case that cooper has tried to change the fact to change the past to affect the future and found that he can't or at least he can't in the way he expected to right and that it seems like he tries to, and then, in the words of Philip Jeffrey, it gets slippery. It gets and he actually slippery, like slips yeah. and goes, yeah. he, like he gets pushed off somewhere else. Yeah, and that feels to me very, um, very relevant to the fact that throughout the entirety of Twin Peaks, we've had this backwards talking and acting mechanic, essentially, um, just as a constant, a, a, a just sporadically used device. That device is it, it is prescribed, right? If you are engaging in it, right. everything you are saying has already been has said. Already been said, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. And so, yeah, that just popped into my head just now. Good shit, Chris. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> my mind is exploding at the thought of that, and I don't know why, but it is. Yeah. 
Um, I'll find out in 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll podcast with you again in 25 <laughs> years. So um, anyway, Cooper and Diane meet up in Glastonbury Grove. Uh, they ask, is it you? Is it really you? Yes, it's it's really me, Diane. Is it really you? Yeah. Diane, um, Diane and Cooper at this point seem far less comfortable around each other than they did even in episode 17. It yeah. feels like Diane shows up out of fucking nowhere when another person turns into her in 17 and they're both just like, they seem very happy to see each other and, yeah. they, and, and they immediately kiss. Mm-hmm. In this episode- in, it, And they're also in the, they're in that like bubble of perfect, yes. wonderful Twin Peaks land. Also- I guess probably to Diane's credit, you should be wary at this point when a man who could or could not be Dale Cooper yeah, walks out of a out lodge. Of a portal, yeah. yeah, like uh, as we talked to before. Um, and then I like that Cooper then asks, "Is it really you?" And uh, Diane kind of gives like a half laugh and says, "Yeah," mm-hmm. which I guess is referring to the fact that she was a constructed weird fake person for a while. But like, right? The, anyway, stay tuned on yeah, that. But I mean, the ice the ice kind of breaks there, and Laura Dern yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like lets out like a half chuckle yeah, that yeah, Cooper yeah. is even asking her that. Right. Which also, you know, to her credit, her not immediately jumping down his throat for asking that when he's the one who raped her is uh, like. <laughs> Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's me. I mean, she was being lighthearted about it, but like, sure, but the fact, the the fact that the proof he, is probably more yeah, on him. Yeah, Cooper turning that into a reciprocal question, uh, she gave him the benefit of the doubt hard right then. Yeah. And then she looks, she studies him in the face and he smiles. Mm-hmm. And then the curtains fade out in the woods in the most classic good looking yep, way that I always way. love. Yeah, it's good. Um, and then we f- totally fade out, I think, and then they're driving. Yep, they're driving on the desert. This whole scene of Cooper and Diane driving in a classic car. I saw um, Joel Bacco, who writes the blog Lost in the Movies, pointed out that it is aesthetically a complete replication of Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Dern's driving scene in um, Blue Velvet, mm. including some of the like timber of their conversation. Yeah, anyway. Um, that's really interesting. I mean, it's impossible not to view the interactions between Cooper and Diane through the lens of both of them having such long history in David Lynch yeah. works, including with each other. Including playing scenes together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's something that just has a huge amount of resonance. Because it's also been a long time, you know, not not in, even in the context of Twin Peaks, it's been a long time since they've been together on screen under yeah. the direction of David Lynch at all. Yeah. yeah. But seeing them just driving down the road in a car of that Yeah, that's era, a really good pull. Like, yeah, so... Yeah. Thanks. Is it future or is it past? Ah, is it detective or is it pervert? <laughs> um, so anyway, they they reach these big power lines. What is this called? What is that? What is that thing called? I, I can't remember. I mean, those those the gigantic gigantic power lines. I feel yeah. like those just have to be the ones that are used for incredibly long distance wire yeah. runs because they're just way off the ground and hugely structurally intense. Uh, also, I thought it was cool that and they clustered. Pick, I thought, yeah, I don't know what the clusters are. I mean, I know. Like, I assume that's because there's they're actually being going to route it's out. Gonna, to it's going to route out. I know, like a power substation is like the sort of smaller ones that you'll see in the middle yeah. of a town that just have all the yeah, big resistors and stuff. But yeah. I don't know what this what this one is. Yeah, I noticed, and also Dana noticed that they, because they used these uh, these huge giant ones, the geometric shapes were also really evocative to me of the Owl Cave logo oh that's a good i don't know what the point of it was but like just you know whatever just i i couldn't help but just constantly as it kept showing those shots of all the interconnected uh diamonds and squares and little spindly edges coming off that it really looked like that symbol 
yeah. that I that Hawk talks about being the symbol that means electricity. That's that's a good poll. I didn't um, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, they're they're excited that it's Cooper's. You know, look almost exactly four hundred and thirty miles, and then he drives for like another two seconds. Right. Exactly, exactly. four hundred and thirty miles. Yeah. Um, four hundred and thirty. I mean, that's after they say, you know, sure. Are you sure uh, you want to do? Are you this? sure you want to do this? You don't know uh, what it's going to be like. You know, yep. When we cross over, whatever it is, yeah, they're clearly approaching that point and yeah, feeling some yeah. very feeling some apprehension about it because you know before Cooper gets out of the car, Diane also says, "Just think about it, Cooper. It's worth pointing out that 430 miles is one of the clues that the giant gave right. where the fireman right at the very beginning in the like one mm-hmm. of the first lines of the season was him saying, "Remember 430, Richard and Linda, two birds, one stone yeah. were the clues from the very beginning of the season. Yep, all of which turn out to be relevant." at the end and not during yes. any of the middle we were kept other we, than you know yeah. we kept occasionally hoping that one of those things would show up and it all mm-hmm. bundles together here yep 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 yeah it seems like Cooper gets out and look around just to be sure that it's the place but then they drive did you get the sense when Diane said let's go that she was kind of unnerved at all or I don't know if like I that it was that almost ambiguously her. let's leave or that's just that that she just like she just felt something was wrong. I don't know. Probably. I, I mean, maybe I could be reading into her performance. That's, that this moment is totally scary, and you have no idea what's going to happen. Like Colin McLaughlin yeah. gets out and looks around, and you just sort of see his coat billowing as he's yeah just dwarfed by this huge electrical infrastructure. Then they yeah. drive, and it suddenly pops to nighttime, and it's hard to know if it literally if that happened to them in that moment or if that was a cinematic device and we we're just mm-hmm. we're you know just cutting through time yeah. but it it was uh at that moment they also both seem super stoic once mm-hmm. it's cut once the once that right. time jump happens sure. that's when i feel like cooper like cements himself to me as his most mm-hmm. like the most the knife's edge version of cooper that i think we see for the rest of the episode i felt definitively happened right there yeah also, again, props to Kyle McLaughlin for like his eight, I know. his eight thousandth version of Cooper. Like I know. he walks the line so well from like the middle of this episode on. Of like, which Cooper am I seeing? Am I seeing both? Whatever. Okay. I sure hope he gets recognized for it. Not that it matters. I've said it before, but I hope he does. Anyway, you hope he gets recognized. <laughs> <laughs> In public. Yo, Dougie. Hey, Richard. <laughs> Loved you in Twin Peaks. Uh, Mr. C. Classic, Richard. <laughs> Starring Kyle McLaughlin. As Richard. <laughs> As, yeah. As Richard Horn. Yeah, by the way, speaking of every name being used twice, obviously intentional, but yeah. who knows. Uh, it seems that Cooper's, Bad Coop's son, Richard, is makes sense that that would be Cooper's name for no reason. No, I mean, I know. It makes sense in the sort of ambiguous logic of yeah. the way this that works, but I don't know beyond that. Anyway, yeah. so they pull up to a motel. <laughs> um, Cooper gets out and goes into the office, and then Diane sees herself Yeah, she's kind of like anxiously looking, it seems like, wait, yeah, waiting for Cooper, and then sees that other Diane come out. You know what it really reminded me of? It reminded me of the scene where... The other Diane or whatever it is, when they're uh, going oh. to investigate the vortex, and she sees and the Diane woodsman? sees all this stuff happening, and she watches it, but she doesn't react at all or do anything or tell anyone about it. It's not till much later that she sort of talks about it, but it's at the time she didn't. I wonder now if that's because that Diane was fake. I know. I just now I'm thinking of her watching. 
this, and she seems to react the same way. She watches it, she looks, but she doesn't do anything. She doesn't say yeah. anything to Cooper when he huh. gets back. She doesn't like look worried specifically yeah, or that's anything. That's true. I was gonna say what it reminded me of was the scene when in Firewalk of Me when Cooper sees himself on the security footage where he sees a second one of him just sort of ambiently standing there, but he, yeah, but freaks, he freaks out. out. He goes yeah. crazy when yeah. that happens. Whereas yeah. Diane just looks at it and looks a little bit more unnerved about the situation, but otherwise doesn't doesn't change what she's doing. Yeah. 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 Huh. Uh, anyway, um, so Cooper comes back out, Diane gets out, they go into the room. Um, she turns on a light and he tells her to turn, turn it, it off, off, which that really felt like confirmation that he is different. That he's different? Yeah. 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 I mean, this- That felt really like striking to me. Yeah, he said it in a not confrontational way, but it did seem closer to yeah, something. But it was it like, seemed closer to something that bad Coop yeah. would would do, or something yeah. at least that not regular Cooper yeah. would do. He wouldn't well, just and, say, then, and then she says, "What do we do now?" And he says, "You come over here to me." And then from that point, he's dictating to her. I mean, yes. it's like you get the sense that the situation is consensual, or at least starts out consensually. But nonetheless, there's the, a really intense edge on it right from the beginning. Like I didn't, no part of me at the beginning received this as sensual or right like when, positive yeah when they when they kiss in the sheriff's department it's surprising and seems weird as an audience member but at least both characters feel like this is a thing that we both really want right now yeah and this feels like you said yeah like maybe it starts off that way yeah the way the way like this... just that it is instigated at all feels like maybe there's there's a, a, a spark of like we should be doing this yeah but especially as we see Cooper increasingly try to sort of change events of the past, this really felt to me like and they they both sort of had some kind of intuitive understanding that this is what they were doing, at least initially. Mm-hmm. It really felt to me like they were trying to recreate a v- sort of version of ho- traumatic, horrible events that had happened in the past, sort of take control of it, almost redo it. In a way in which they're in control. To sort, of, to sort of try and own their own new version of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it seems very much related to the fact that Cooper is trying to rewrite history, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, except in doing so, yeah. it, it, I mean, it was, I mean, by the end of the scene, they I, seem to lose terrifying. control of their controlled yes. uh, tests. They did, except that Cooper does not react at all. Yeah. He is stone faced and. Well, Diane is like, Diane trying is to cover like his increasingly, face. Yeah. yeah, as she's increasingly distressed. And yet continuing on with this situation, presumably because she feels like she has no choice. Yeah, she is like trying to cover his face with her hands. Right. Has no choice slash just ha- has no control in some in some sense of the word. Yeah. yeah. And and I just I thought it was terrifying. I thought it was absolutely terrifying. Also, side note, am I correct in saying that? I mean, I could be wrong about this, but. Every, I think, every single case of uh, sexual intercourse in this season is depicted with the man lying down, usually brooding, and then the woman, like, sort of riding on top. I can't remember what there there was. Are there exceptions to that? Besides this one and Dougie, what else was there? Also, the teens at the beginning on the couch. Wow, that's right. I forgot about those teens. um, doesn't Bad Coop... Oh, maybe, probably. I totally don't remember. I think you're, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they're all like, 
So the teens a little bit less so because the, the teens are such goofballs. But even then, it's like the teens staring at something. Like in all cases, it's the man like brooding or staring forward or staring at something while the woman yeah. like, does this to yeah. like sort of actively. Huh. It's even even if the woman is like under the obvious like duress, you know, right. either way, that is how it's depicted. And I don't know. I, I I don't know what that means. Maybe maybe we just learned something about what David Lynch likes, but <laughs> I just, just I couldn't help but notice what seems like a pretty consistent pattern. Yeah, no, that's true. Huh. When Diane is covering up Cooper's face, yeah. all that I could think about was that she ended up making him look like Nido to me, to the point that I even wondered oh, if like wow. the gaps between her fingers were also like aesthetically wow. similar. I don't know why. Yeah, I, don't I don't know, know what. Either, yeah. But like that that complete faceless look with just sort of skin covering skin in the low light like it's just the way that she sort of tried to turn him into basically nobody except for the little slits between her fingers yeah uh freaked me out yeah another thing that freaked me out was the reuse of the song my prayer by the platters which we previously heard in part eight uh being played over the radio Mm -hmm. um and it was uh it it kind of reminded me of it, it was sort of used to kind of similar effect as the uh, Ed and uh, Norma. Yeah, Ed and Norma, which was a diff- totally different song. Yeah. Except that in this case, like something really distressing it was, was happening. It was used in the way that I when I think about Blue Velvet and Blue Velvet. Yes, like Blue Velvet. Yeah, of just totally. Like, yeah. Sort of yeah. quaint pastoral American romance, like old timey AM radio hit, put on top of yeah, something fucked up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Um, side note: Did you know that the Platters had a one of the band members was named David Lynch? Good. Yep. Just a true fact. Great about, about that group. Of, <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I thought that was intense. Also, the um, there so the way it was mixed was kind of interesting in that they kiss and then the song starts. And then you get this like dark drone under it that immediately starts suggesting this is a maybe not right. the situation that it on its face might seem to be. And then am I correct that the song kind of cuts out and then comes back in or am I misremembering that? You probably are not misremembering that, but I don't remember and I don't have it in my notes yeah. either way. Well, in any case, um, I thought it was really intense. And then uh, she by the end of that scene, she's crying, I think and covering his face and he's still just stone faced and the lyrics, you know, come in at, at the end of my prayer, it ends on. And it's just a, I just thought it was really, yep. Took a scene that was, um, quite powerful and really blew it out into something overwhelming. Anyway, he wakes up and finds a note from <laughs> Diane. Presumably he, he calls out for Diane. Yeah. Uh, she's not there and he sees a note, that says, dear Richard, when you read this, I'll be gone. Please don't try to find me. I don't recognize you anymore. Uh, I think she's, I, I, whatever we had is over or something to that effect. Yeah. Linda, (laughs) um, which super good. Yeah. Uh, Also, uh, I don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. The way that that could apply to the specifics of a possible Diane encounter with this Cooper, who turns out to not be the evil Cooper, but still, not what she expected or basically him walking into another Dougie Jones life where things don't directly correlate to his life. It was, it was a good, mm-hmm. and he's Richard and she's Linda, I guess. Yeah. They were them all along, Chris. 
I, I guess he so. woke up from his dream of Twin Peaks. Yep. Uh, he leaves and he seems to be in a different. It's place a different and hotel. Time. It's a different, it's a different car. Hotel. Yeah. It's a it's a new car. Yeah. The hotel looks like a more modern kind of. Yeah, he has like well, he has what looks like a generic like hotel. FBI guy car. In, in yeah, this, exactly. In this one. He looks like he has a company car for sure. Yeah. Uh, is it future or is it past? What year is it? Uh, well. Do you want to talk about that Odessa sign? That is the next thing we see, basically. Yeah. yeah. So it, it clarifies that he's in Odessa. Is that Texas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Chris, we saw from, I think it was our friend Brandon, mm-hmm. the people online looked up the population of that Odessa sign. Yeah, which and, is 99,405 or something. something. Yeah, and that was the- 99,000 something. Yeah, that was the stated population of Odessa in 2010. Yeah. And it seems like that's got to be deliberate- why it's 2010 who can say cooper asking what year is it at the end and it being and it's saying 2010 or it and that sign being the sign from 2010 seems like there's probably some meaning to it beyond just something went absolutely wrong because it seems like they would not have specifically built a prop of the odessa sign with that population on it without meaning like it feels very intentional you could send else could it right you could send a location out to film the real odessa sign or you could literally go to their wikipedia page today and look up their population and make it correct yes Um, and they chose just adding it in post right and they chose not to so however they whatever they did there there was a specific choice to show the 2010 odessa population Mm mm-hmm yeah, we I think I think we didn't talk a lot about earlier in this season was theories people had online about there being two timelines um and using all kinds of uh yeah, investigation into I think I think people thought specifically for a while that Dougie Jones was taking yeah. place in 2003 because his license plate said 03 on it and mm-hmm. then someone from Las Vegas said ah, actually that is a month it means that Dougie Jones's license plates oh, okay. were new that in was March. That was. Okay, I didn't really pay attention to those yeah. theories, so I didn't. The, know the what color of it, the color of the sticker on his plate, I believe, is the year, and the 03 was the month that you need to renew. Mm-hmm. So if you have a three and the wrong color past that month, right, right, right. But um, those people hopefully are feeling at least vindicated <laughs> on some axis right, maybe, now yeah, that yeah. now that Cooper might have traveled into not only another place but another time. Yeah. Uh, so he sees Eat at Judy's coffee shop. Yep. And he does. He doesn't eat, but he gets coffee. I get, yeah, he gets coffee. Yeah. He gets coffee that is still not so, not so satisfying as a fan of Twin Peaks would like to see. No, he doesn't seem to care. No, he really. just drinks his coffee. Yeah. So this is a scene that feels like it might as well have been featuring a slight... I mean, this is basically like a slightly less intense Bad Coop scene, right? Yeah. Like he's, he's, he acts in self-defense, but he also acts without really regard for the personal safety yeah, of innocent his, people. His overall motive seems more emotionally pure, but the way that he gets there is messed up, Yeah, basically. And he, he does put innocent people directly in danger unnecessarily. Yes. When he drops the gun in the hot oil. And when he just, basically, as he's turning around, he never lowers his right. pistol. He just sort of w- yeah. waves it right past everyone when slowly turning around to assess the scene. Yeah. Yeah, he he acts like everyone there is a threat other than the information that he needs, which feels very, yeah, very bad, bad coop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what if there's a whole lot to talk about in this moment other than... Yeah, I mean, this is that was really the moment where it was clear that this was a this, different something Cooper. has happened I mean, was, to Cooper. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear to me in the previous scene, but yeah, the way that he rapidly disarms that guy, shoots someone in the foot, and then stands up. Like, oh, I mean, even the pre in the Diane. Oh, scene, I know. Yes, yeah. I mean, this scene. Yeah. yeah, Cooper going through all those actions was like any inkling that you had that you may or may not be perceiving that were confirmed a hundred percent that this is not like good old Pierre Dale Cooper anymore. Good old who? Pure. 
Oh, I think you said Peter Dale Cooper. And oh, I was like, you wow, don't know his full is... name, Chris? I guess you didn't listen to those tapes that they released back <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> pure. Um, yes, no, it wasn't pure Coop. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, again, I, I I think the specifics of this scene are... Yeah. I don't know that we have to like rehash He seems to have been though. expecting, though, that a woman named Laura Palmer would be working there as a waitress. That's what I thought he meant. As That's what I thought he was looking for as well. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah, I don't know. He, he seemed to have some information that, like, my, my read on all of that was that he thought somehow he would save Laura from getting murdered that night. She would somehow go on living her life and end up eventually in Odessa, Texas as a waitress. But if he doesn't realize... Yeah. I don't know why he would think all of those things, because that's a huge, outrageous leap to make. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where that information would have come from or what. That was just what I was intuiting yeah, from... I, yeah, until know, until but, all of the all yeah. of those theories got knocked over one by one. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, when um, it's not Laura, when it's a different person, right, when she right. has no memory of that life and doesn't know Twin Peaks and etc. Yeah. But uh, he seems to know by some means. Which is, you know, again, this is. It's is it Laura? Is, is it Cooper intuition? Works, yeah, maybe you know, he, maybe he yeah. knocked the milk bottle over earlier and we just didn't see it. Right. Yeah. Um, so he so he dr- he leaves still holding the gun, by the way, as he's yeah. leaving, um, drives away to uh, an address number 1516 but then we see the classic number six telephone pole with the little serial number underneath again it. Yeah. yeah which is weird because obviously that's not in texas no but i mean it's also changed locations a couple times because we saw it in fire walk with me i believe outside of the deer meadow trail mm. trailer park and then it's on the intersection it's a 21st in sparkwood is that the the address whatever that mm. God. the sparkwood in 21 where the kid gets hit by richard horn yeah. that's what then we see it there and now he sees it in odessa texas yeah in a, obviously in a completely different world. Right. I also don't know if the phone pole was meant to have moved in Twin Peaks. I wasn't or, really sure about that either. Because the Fat yeah. Trout Trailer Park is in Deer Meadow in Fire Walk With Me, and then now uh, it has a little tiny word new above Fat Trout Trailer right. Park, implying yeah, that- Yeah, so it that, might actually that, be a different- That, that Carl yeah. moved it, but yeah. whatever. He yeah. sees that pole completely, obviously, way far away from anywhere where it ever should be. Mm-hmm. It's not clear if he reacts to that directly or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, we get after that a while of Cooper interacting with this woman who he determines to be Carrie Page, who resolutely denies any knowledge of Laura Palmer. Um, it, although it felt like there was slight, like when he's um, trying to like, jog her there's some familiarity to her like when 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 he says her parents names she there's she has almost a pause and then she says sarah what's going on and it kind of feels like there's that's the that's the first thing that like yeah where there's a flash of recognition yep i mean it's unclear because she the way she responds to him are is also very stilted uh where you know he says so the name Laura Palmer means nothing to you? And her response is, I don't know what you want, but I'm not her, which is a weird way to answer that question. Like it's not say, a denial. Yeah, I mean, say, it is a denial, but not. But it's a weird it's, denial. It's, it's a, a circuitous it's, denial. Yeah, it's circuitous. Right? If you were flatly denying, you would just say, no, I don't know who you're nothing. talking about. Who, that doesn't like, mean I anything. I literally have no idea yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. But it's also she, the she case acts like that, someone else has at one point accused her of being Laura Palmer. Right. But it's yeah. also the case that she doesn't want to acknowledge it. Yeah. But it's also the case that David Lynch, as you pointed out earlier, often directs his actors in to deliver lines in stilted ways. So it's really tough to know what the implication yeah. of this is. Yeah. It's, you know, she could have also, 
even though we never heard her say it, the way that she responds to Sarah made me reminded me of the way that Laura reacts to Cooper in the previous episode where she says you were in my dream in a dream, you know, like just him showing up at all could be an echo of familiarity to her in a way that is not concretely accessible even to her, but just that this is happening is meaningful because she dreamt it or because, you know, she's hanging out next to that number six uh, light pole. Uh, He also says to her, uh, I want to take you to your mother's home. It's very important. Which oh, is it's that same line. It's that same line huh. from the previous episode that Andy uses. Right. And that uh, Lucy then repeats. Repeats I don't know. Chef. That could be a total coincidence. It's not as though it's a particularly unique right. phrase, but I don't know. I just noticed it right now. Yep. Um, she's got a dead guy in her house. She does have a dead guy in her house. And, and I saw- As you mentioned. I saw people postulate that it was a suicide, but then people also yeah. disagreed and said that it looked like maybe it wasn't. So mm-hmm. like, who knows? It was someone with- Either way, yeah, there's a dead guy with a gunshot wound and barf that might be creamed corn. There's also a little horse, a little classic yep. white horse yep. there just, yep. to, just to freak you out. Mm-hmm. It was just to Blade Runner it up a little bit. Just, it was just a good detail. Cheryl Lee is doing a spectacular job also. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has had nearly nothing to do in this season other than her mm-hmm. couple scenes as Laura Palmer. So having her show up, also a character who has now played three different people on Twin Peaks because she played Laura Palmer, Maddie Ferguson, yeah, that's true. and uh, Carrie now Page. Carrie Page. I just wasn't expecting, I mean, I was, obviously I wasn't, <laughs> I just wasn't expecting Cooper to open up that door and for there to be a completely <laughs> different character who looks like Laura Palmer, but uh, has yeah. clearly lived a different life and grew up in a different part of the country. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, weird that you weren't. I Well, I wasn't expecting that. Once I realized what was going on, I was delighted by uh, Cheryl Lee being given a completely new character to play on yeah. Twin Peaks for her, like, you know the grand total of a half hour that she ends up in in the season. Yep. No, I, I thought that was a lot of fun as well. It was notable to me that the phone is ringing as they left and no one acknowledged that. Also that Cooper didn't seem to acknowledge or care about the no, dead body. That that again it seemed both like he was maybe in 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 a dreamlike state and also that Cooper just was a weirdly muted Cooper who seemed like yeah, he was a, he was an mm-hmm. amalgam of Yeah. None of both Coopers. Of that. that doesn't seem and, like how classic Dale Cooper would no, have reacted to the situation. But, but, and, and as well as when they drive away, he is basically wordless. Yeah. It was, re- I mean, and they really, we get a lot of time of them just driving and saying nothing. Yep. It was very um, uh, heavily reinforced that this was a, a very silent, taciturn yeah. car, car ride for a long, long distance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Driving across half of the United States yeah the long like the diagonal way too mm-hmm. like it's a that's yeah, a long trip yeah oh and when she says are you really an FBI agent and all he does is just show her the badge still as I recall doesn't really yeah. say anything there's no. a whole sequence with the headlights following them yeah but then that's nothing and she's she's briefly worried about it I think. yeah yeah it's just there's just a lot of long shots I know it it was actually it was honestly very sad to watch to me the idea of being on a long road trip with someone, but it's in a situation where just because of how things play out, you're not going to be talking to each other. Mm-hmm. I'm, I suspect for very different reasons than this one, which are you, I fell through another world or whatever. There, it's not an uncommon story for people to have experienced, and it's also um, it's never going to bring up good memories of that of that time in your life. No, and that's I mean, and she, you know, she says, "Odessa, I tried to keep a clean house, keep everything organized." I thought she sort of fell asleep for a bit, but I don't know if she actually does. And then she says, 
those days I was too young to know any better, yeah. which obviously can mean a million things in the context of... Right. But like, you, you see at the house that she left, and it seems like Cooper showing up, although it is not what she expected or necessarily wanted, isn't going to let the opportunity to just get in a car with a stranger oh, and no, leave totally. town to pass her by. No, no, for sure. No, absolutely. I just mean, like, when she says, the, those days I was too young to know any better, that obviously just also has a lot of resonance in the context of um, Laura Palmer. Yep. Right. I mean, it's yeah, impossible yeah, of course, not, to, of course. not to hear that both ways. They stop at a gas station. Again, nothing happens. Yep. Uh, they get back on the road. We get a driving shot that is the same one we get when Bad Coop is driving. Yes. Which I thought was notable. Yes, yeah. for sure. It's yeah. Good Coop or whatever this Coop is. Coop Coop is, yeah, he's doing the Lost Highway thing as he gets closer to Twin Peaks. Yeah. And then they cross a bridge that I don't think is meant to be the actual bridge that Renette Pulaski stumbles along. I think that's but a train it's a bridge. very similar Yes. It's that trestle Yeah, it's style. got that trestle style. Yeah. I, I did think it was intended to be a specific echo of that moment because yeah. we also passed the double R diner. That double R looks Cooper does not react to. And that double R diner looks bleak. Like any any feeling that you had that, that you would be able to understand what's going to happen next, which admittedly you do not have. Yeah. The the that crossing the train bridge and then and then going past the double R was like this is gonna whatever's gonna happen is gonna be real bad. Like yeah. I don't think we've ever seen the double R in Twin Peaks closed. No, and it didn't have the double R to go right. sign, which, which has been a notable addition in this season. Yep, and that could be because we're what year is it? Is it, it could future be because we're past? could be because we're in future or past, or just because we're in a different place. Like for all we know, whatever Norma exists in this time doesn't have the double R. Like it just right, feels sure. like it feels that shot of Twin Peaks downtown. This just, is a world in which that guy took it over, and then the franchise went out of business. Yeah. Oh, it's probably back, not. It's Back to the Future too. You've never <laughs> seen it. Uh, it it felt. Seeing that version of Twin Peaks at night. That sounded like a total, like, bringing up a super obscure art film. It's like Back to the Future 2. You've never seen it. I love that on this podcast you haven't seen Back to the Future 2. <laughs> but whatever. The the version of Twin Peaks that they drive past feels like what I imagine that actual bit of South, South Bend. Is that where it is? Oh, where they film the show? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what it would look like after dark. Just like a regular-ass yeah. American town that is probably so small as to not quite have the support network that it needs institutionally in this point in its history in the in the 2010s to have like a bustling nightlife to have a vibrant downtown like it just looked like the sort of diner that you drive by like wow that place was probably really cool you know in the 60s in the the 40s but now it's probably just kind of a dumpy place that like will grill you up a char broiled hamburger Yeah, yeah, yeah uh I mean, that's a lot to read from just the lights being off, but it just was so unadorned after seeing no, Twin Peaks I, always I, as this sort no, of magical romantic no, place. You absolutely. Know? And I think it dovetails very well with the implication of sort of the Rancho Rosa housing development and yeah. Janie E talk about our terrible cars and our sort of yeah. like how people can't get ahead. I mean, this show definitely exists in a sort of post-financial collapse yes. world that is, you know, aware of, um, I, th- I think... Um, just the way that wealth is distributed and and everything else. I mean, it it all feels like it is it is aware of that in a way that the original Twin Peaks, I think, you know, very intentionally never quite felt like it was part of the actual yep. real mundane world. Yeah, whatever version of Twin Peaks they're driving through right now is geographically the same, but it is not inside of the same bubble that yeah. our, that like quote unquote our Twin Peaks usually is. Yeah, whatever else is going on with the the number the people and the names and the lives and whatever else, this is just. 
if Twin Peaks really existed in the Pacific Northwest, that's what it would look like. Yeah, yep. because it is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they arrive at Sarah Palmer's house. She recognizes nothing. He takes her. Up. Laura recognizes nothing. Laura recognizes. Sorry, yeah. Laura recognizes nothing. Laura slash Carrie. And uh, oh, sorry. Jeez. C- uh, Cooper takes her up to the door, and I was just on the edge of my seat waiting for that door to open. Um, I mean, I don't know what I expected to happen. I mean, I, I guess I did expect. I, I did for some reason still expect Sarah Palmer to open it. Obviously, she did not. Um, and uh, yeah. Instead, a random woman, mm-hmm. uh, who it should be known as the actual owner of that house in yeah. Washington State, which feels like, on the one hand, is probably mainly just a thing that David Lynch thought was cool and doesn't really matter because. Who cares? It, it reinforces nice the sort woman, of magicless, also, mundane version of the world that, that, that yeah, they're in. Yeah, and and I think sort really, of, yeah. I think really is a weirdly, if in fact any amount of this is suggesting that this that a man named Richard woke up for a dream, that is the most outrageously meta accurate way to suggest it. Yep. That this actual woman who in our real world in which this television show Twin Peaks takes place like is is released on televisions. <laughs> Had she been watching Invitation to Love, I would have pooped. <laughs> yeah, I know. Had she been watching Twin Peaks, yeah. uh, on which someone was watching Invitation to Love, right. on both of which were Dale Cooper knocking on a door. <laughs> Dale Cooper's knocking on a door while she's watching yeah. uh, Dale Cooper knock on a door uh, on in TV, while in the background, well, the background Chet is knocking on a door. <laughs> in Invitation to Love, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, uh, the the tidiness of that is not, not uh, is, is interrupted by the fact that her name is Tremont, yeah, and she bought the house from a Chalfont, which tie this very much in with some weird like version of reality. Lodge but lore, not the same yeah. one no. that we knew from the old Twin Peaks series or Fire Walk with Me. But it, it reinforced the, the idea that the sort of between spaces are actually spaces between two worlds or yeah. between between yeah. worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know that it. Oh, her name is Alice Tremont specifically. She says, okay. I don't know if Alice means anything. I don't either. Other than the thing that everyone points out anytime any character's named Alice, which is Yeah, sure. Alice in Wonderland. But um there's just a bunch of more do you recognize anything about this? Do you know it like whatever. No one no answers are forthcoming other right. than the, the Tremont thing and the Chalfont. I mean the door closes, they start walking away. Someone whispers Laura, is that mm-hmm. correct? I, yeah, it sort of sounded like Sarah Palmer maybe. Yeah. That's 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 what it sounds like. And then she screams and then all of the lights in the house go out. Yeah. Which and then all the lights in the world go out. I guess because well, it's cast to black. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's but it felt to me like something bigger than like just, just the house. things extinguished. It felt like that was part of yeah, part of the actual action. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> do you think? Do you think? So uh. when when we hear um, you you had mentioned the sort of between two worlds things thing, and then we hear. Um, Sarah Palmer, or, or or I don't know, maybe maybe Sarah Palmer. We hear the voice sort of whisper, "Laura." That reminded me of the line in Mike's poem: "One chance out between two worlds." Right. It's ambiguous as well that that is C H A N C E or C H A N T S. By the I way, I researched this a lot. Okay. Um, because of that ambiguity, and I am pretty confident. It is chance, C H A N T S. Okay. I think at one point in one of the scripts it was written chance with a C, but it seems like anytime anyone involved has actually answered any question about it, it's chant. It is chant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I, I mean, 
Who knows? It could also have been chosen explicitly because it sounds like both words. Right. But I think if we have to declare it's one, I believe I, it is I, chant. I have always thought that it was that it was chant. But yeah, the name Laura whispered and then her screaming, especially if, as sort of randomly hypothesized by me <laughs> early at the beginning of this episode, that that was somehow hitting both of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, maybe it is a chant out between two worlds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Laura. Oh, I guess... Um, Waldo the bird knew it all along. I guess, actually, Cooper says, what year is this before that happens? We didn't, yeah. We didn't oh, that's right. Co- that. Right. Yeah. Of course he does, because he's got to. Like, yeah. that's... Yeah. <laughs> he's just wondering if it's future or if it's past. Oh, my God. Him saying, what year is this, is... Even that means... It means nothing to us. I know, I know. Because Cooper has been operating, even in this weird world, with clearly a set of expectations that we aren't privy to. Yeah. Like, where he knows where to find this woman who looks just like Laura Palmer. hmm And he expects that diner to exist. You know, he doesn't seem to expect that his name is going to be wrong. He doesn't expect that certain things are wrong. But right. it seems like he at least has enough bearing on it. But it's not the it. year that seemed like it was Yeah, unexpected. even the fact that the year is different. Like, yeah. Sarah Palmer never left that house, very right. clearly. No right. matter what, we know... Right from just everything that we've seen that that that, that mm-hmm. shouldn't have a bearing on that. Yeah. But Cooper seems to know that it means something and mm-hmm. that is probably one of the reasons, one of the most like tangible reasons why people were uh the people who were upset with the finale of Twin Peaks were upset with it. Oh, you the, think so? I think that the Cooper saying what year is it and Laura screaming can in some ways feel like just a rug pull or like oh you're just throwing one more thing into the mix right before the camera cuts. That's not yeah. how I read it, but I feel like Yeah. It, I don't, it, it, I don't, it's yeah. it's the it's the house Annie of this season, right? Of right. him like I, bashing his head against the wall, saying yeah. "How's Annie?" You seeing Bob's reflection of just like there's another thing now that you're not that you're not going to tell me, right? I think that it folds back in and, and tracks fine. Yeah, I mean the house Annie is a weird case because that was something he was basically repeating. He was sort of mockingly repeating, right? But through yeah. repetition and because it was the last thing said, it's been turned into like almost a key or like a lock that has to be yeah. fitted with a key to answer questions. That, but I, yeah, I that felt like it was Bob slash doppelganger coop, just like laughing at how well he yeah. fooled some idiot into thinking yeah. he was goody two shoes Cooper. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think the actual important thing from that scene is like the way that Kyle McLaughlin plays it and acts. Yeah. Right. And I think similarly in this scene, the thing that's important is Cooper's bewilderment about something being wrong I mean, maybe the year is specifically important, but in general, I think even without knowing the exact meaning and an answer to that, I think the scene plays because of the way Kyle McLaughlin, uh, McLaughlin acts, the way that... Right. Uh, that, um, the feeling that he's overreached and is lost, basically. Yeah. He is lost slash has lost. Yeah. More, more he's lost. And then that scream... And the just the and the overall effect of everything yeah. put together just was I thought astonishing. Yeah, yeah. It felt like he had this meticulous attempt to bring back the world as it should be, and then like the mirror just shattered. In a place and time that yeah, just demonstrates every, it did not, and just dragged this person across the world, uh, and right. then just and then just yeah, pushed her of, right he into it. He gets a lot of clues that things aren't what he expects them to be, and yet he doesn't stop pushing forward. Yeah, like he doesn't expect that. Richard and Linda thing. I mean, he's baffled by that. It's not as though he right. expected that to happen. It's it's hard to know. It's hard to know what to make of all of that because I I don't really like. I've probably on this podcast postulated uh, a lot of things that insinuate that I think that it's like a full throated indictment of the character of Dale Cooper, or that he maybe somehow deserves this because of some character flaw that he has. I don't think 
that either. But I like I don't think that in, in, a, in an explicitly concrete way. Like I don't think that that, that Frost and Lynch are somehow like indicting their own character through these actions but it is it's been interesting watching what from a lot of angles does feel like the fall of agent dale cooper yeah i just like whether or not he quote unquote deserves it is a is a reading that i don't feel qualified to state and i don't know um, if i'm if yeah, the show's interested really, in it i don't think the show's interested in that and i don't think that a lot of terrible things happen to people on this show and i don't think it it's fair to talk about who deserves it yeah it just i think cooper despite all of his best intentions is not immune from the sort of from existence's attempt to pull you down yeah i guess like he's managed to stay above it and be pained by it and always try to save people from it but it feels like he eventually got got at the end of yeah. at the end of this game or game at the end of this show yeah Kind of, this, of. At the end of this game we call life. Oh, no. At the end of this game. He thought that it was over after he defeated the final boss, Bob Orb. <laughs> the Bob Om. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I so I, we can probably essentially wrap this up. I think we, we've tied a lot of different theories and takes on this all throughout this episode and the previous one. Um, so I don't know that we're, I don't feel capable of assigning one conclusive there isn't one. meaning or takeaway <laughs> there isn't at one. this point beyond everything we've sort of tried scratching at over the last three hours yeah. of discussion. I think the most concrete thing that I could personally try to say is that I felt like episodes 17 and 18 in combination served to actually reinforce and sort of reinvigorate a lot of the themes that I've always thought Twin Peaks was concerned with, especially yeah. the the Laura Palmer arc and Fire Walk With Me about the way that humans treat each other and the cycle of yeah. violence and violence against women and stuff like that. Yeah. And stuff like that, he says dismissively. I, right. I, I had found myself really lost in the sea with some of that stuff in, twin, yeah. in season three. This will be a very interesting rewatch. And yeah, I'm so thrilled to finally go back and rewatch it again yeah we probably won't do a podcast of that immediately but i'm really no, interested at some point at some point we should, point we should. Yeah. i think it'd be really fun but other than that sort of broad thing that i said of oh twin peaks has reinforced some of the themes of twin peaks as my my incisive <laughs> right. my incisive read i'm sure there's plenty more to say and i, I think we're still doing an, yet another episode of this show yeah. after this because we've done yeah. no reader mail it's true we still i mean we're already we got plenty more to do of that it's worth remembering something that we have talked about a lot on this podcast, but we have not mentioned specifically having finished this whole season. This was an incredible season of television by incredible. I just, I I mean, remarkable in the most literal sense. It is unusual worth remarking on and outside of the context of just about any established expectations for what television is, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using sort of breathless language here that's just like, oh, it's just so amazing. But I, I'm being as literal as I can. I, I think this show legitimately, whether you like it or not, challenges expectations of television in ways that are at least as huge as the original run of Twin Peaks did at, you know, at the time it was aired. Mm-hmm. And it's been really cool to watch it live um, I don't know that I, I don't know that any watching any season of television live has felt like this, which isn't to say it's my favorite show ever. No, but it's it's but an it 18 week window of unique. Yeah, it's an 18 week window of time that is clearly not going to be reproduced yeah. as far as the experiences of this 
this show and what it contained being aired week to week on television. Absolutely. And I'm really glad we had this podcast going. Um, to document it. To, yeah, to, to get our thoughts out as it was happening. I think that's going to be a really interesting um, experience for us to have had, yep. if, especially if we do go back and, and I know. We're going to be such lore masters next time. Yeah. We're going to get it all right. Every detail, every name. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much to all of the listeners who have followed us along both on the podcast feed and on YouTube. Um, that's been really fun. I'm looking forward to doing more of our reader mail next week. But even aside from that, whether you've written in or not, uh, it's been really cool and kind of a privilege to get to accompany people as this incredibly unusual and fascinating show has yep. aired. Uh, and also... <laughs> now that Twin Peaks is over, now that we've seen all 18 episodes of season three, the writing, uh, both professionally across people who have been doing recap mm. columns and people who have been doing blogs, and also the stuff people have been bringing to the Idol forums, oh, has yeah. been incredible. It's amazing. Now that people have this whole work to discuss, the the thoughts that people have been putting into Twin Peaks have been off the charts. And this, this like the last couple days, I've just been devouring all of it sort of separate from my own notes. And it's so good. People have so much to say and so much to pull from the show. And that's also rare for TV, even great TV doesn't have this much uh, space in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I've seen some people frustrated that, uh, that they feel that the audience and the audience's wishes have not been taken into account by Frost and Lynch by not delivering an overtly, concretely satisfying, wish-fulfilling interest. And what I just said reminded me that Twin Peaks does take the audience into account in an incredibly respectful, if different way. Twin Peaks does not necessarily enable you, or this season of Twin Peaks did not enable me to just have all of my Twin Peaks fantasies carried out. But it left me personally more room for reflection and thought than basically any TV show I've watched in ages and ages, maybe ever. I mean, like there are some great TV shows that I've done a lot of thinking about, like whatever, you could name many of the top TV shows of all time. But the space that I felt I've been left as an audience member, the sort of respectful space for me to interpret the show and for me to bring my own meaning into it is is a thing that this season excels at in a way that most TV doesn't. And I would personally consider that more respectful to an audience than uh, in some ways than a show that just tells you to feel good all the time. It certainly extends a lot of, it certainly offers a lot of confidence it demonstrates a lot of confidence in its yes. audience. Yes, I guess that's yeah. what I mean by by yeah. respecting the audience. It's not necessarily respecting uh, my your wishes, my wishes, but rather respecting it, your ability to engage with the thing. Yes, fully. Yeah, yeah. I've, that's been a really refreshing and fun and yeah. invigorating. All right. Well, um, this has been great. We will be back next week with reader mail and I guess assorted thoughts. Yep. So uh, do keep subscribing for that. And thank you for listening to this episode and all of the episodes of Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, this has been such a fun thing to do. You can still write us email to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com, and you will definitely want to head to the Idle forums and talk about... Uh, we have one combined discussion thread for um, parts 17 and 18. I don't know how that's going to shake out once we, these episodes are separate, but um, that's fine. You can go over to the forums and, and share all your theories and read all the incredibly insightful and interesting things people have been saying about these episodes and the season. I've been loving that thread. Yep. So TwinPeaksRoach.com for links to everything. And we will be back next <laughs> week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>